0: folks what we're going to look at is heaven not the unpleasant part of revelation where you see the in revelation chapter 6 where you see that there's going to be judgment and it keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming i almost look think of it as as a picture of what happened when hamas came in to that little uh Uh, situation where they were having some singing and dancing and all of that, and they're killing people, they're shooting people, and all of that kind of stuff. That is what I picture in Revelation chapter 6 when things begin to unfold, when things begin to fall apart. That's a picture of it. What John is looking at now in this text that we're going to look at today is beautiful. It's tranquil. It's just absolutely expansive that we can't even imagine all of it. When you see and experience heaven, nothing else matters, folks. When you see and you experience heaven, nothing else could matter. Last week, what did we look at? We looked at doors. We looked at thrones. We looked at lights. We looked at gems. We looked at rainbows, and we looked at elders. This week, we're going to progress a little bit more here. And probe into the other things that John found in heaven that he's trying to explain. And, and at times he does a great job, and at times we have to use our imagination as to what he is saying. But Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to read the whole section there so we keep that in mind as to what's going on. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Thereafter these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a Sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and, and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes, in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. And the second creature was like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within and day and night they do not cease to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. I don't know about you. I I get pretty excited reading that. I I get chills to be able to see something like that. John must have been in in a stupor because of what he's looking at and seeing, and and he's seeing all of these actions taking place. Revelation 4, 5 says, Out of from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. What a picture. You know, today in some of the entertainment that they try to do with music, you have all of these things bursting, you know, on the, on the stage when they're going to sing and all of that kind of thing. That is nothing compared to what we're going to see in heaven. The rumblings that are there, the awesome power that comes out of just the rumblings there are going to be enough to, to encompass the whole universe. These rumblings must have reminded John of something, though. Because John is a a student of the Word of God. He, He would know what the Old Testament had to say. And so he must be looking at that and thinking, oh, this is what the people of God were visited with in the Exodus. So with that, turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. We get to see there what the people of God who were exiting Uh, obviously Egypt, and we're going to be brought eventually into the promised land. But in Exodus 19, verse 16, it says this. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud from upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. All those people trembled at that sound. That's the same thing that we're going to do. When we are taken to see the Lord, we're going to tremble. We're going to wonder, what is this? There's nothing like this on earth. You have never had anything like this. I don't care if you've even been through war and you've heard bombs going off, it's nothing compared to what is going to be there. Turn with me to Job chapter 37. It's just a little look at what Job has to say about this. Job chapter 37. And yes, like last week, we will be looking at some other scriptures. Job 37, starting in verse 1. and this, also my heart trembles. I, I, I just like that. I like that idea. We're not in control, folks. He is. And we tremble before him. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Can you imagine your heart leaping out of your body? Uh, but that's what he's trying to give us as a picture. It's just, it's excited. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it loose and his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders and his majestic voice, and he does not restrain. The lightnings when his voice is heard. I, I'm not, uh, not a Southern Californian. You know that. I'm from back east, and in the back east, we have what they call thunderstorms. Okay? We don't have them so much here, but back east, when you have a thunderstorm, I mean, a really good one, wow. It's, it's like everything's cracking open. The trees get split by the lightning. All of that kind of stuff. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You don't want to be outside, by the way. I I used to be a caddy. They called the caddies in from the golf course. The golfers stay out there, but the caddies cannot. (laughs) Anyway, finishing that up, God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which he cannot, which we, not he, which we cannot, comprehend i don't care how smart you are you just can't put it all together it's so enormous it's so incredible of what our god does and who he is those are just a couple of pictures the majesty of our great god and savior is put on display here in revelation chapter four that's what we're seeing and and john is trying to relate that to us as best he can What an incredible time of importance with the people meeting their creator, meeting their God. The the faith that they had and didn't have sight now is given sight. When you cross that, that threshold, you now have that sight and you see it and it's beautiful. John, being a human, can only give a limited understanding of the grandeur that he's seeing. I I can't imagine how you would even put that picture together, but he gives us, in a limited way, the grandeur he's seeing and beholding in heaven. Folks, read this even before you go to sleep at night. This is beautiful. This is what we look forward to. John can only give these pictures that he has, pictures from his lifetime of lightning, thunder, crashes, all of that kind of thing. Tuesday night, I was... Here teaching, matter of fact, in this room, and then about eight o'clock or so, all of a sudden the lights go out, the air conditioning goes off, and the emergency lights don't come on immediately. That's the opposite. <laughs> Once they came back on, it was like a a roar came on. You know, it's, it's interesting when you don't have that sound going on, whether it be lights or people or whatever, uh, just that little bit. But now you're going to be in heaven, and there's going to be all kinds of noise from his voice, things that are going to be deafening, things that are going to be incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, these pictures, our brains are insufficient to be able to comprehend. Our brains cannot understand the phenomenal, cannot understand the majestic scene that's in heaven. And again, I, I want to give you some more pictures, and since you're in Job, why don't you go to Job 36? And again, this is uh, um, the, the giving of these pictures of our awesome God doesn't end. Job 36, verses 29 and 30, it says this, Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? the thundering of his pavilion. You can't understand that. What is going on? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him and he covers the depths of the sea. You know they're still discovering animals that are in the depths of the sea? How long have we been here on this planet? He covers the depths of the sea. His energy is everywhere. His Personhood is everywhere. Turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Psalm 18, starting in verse 13. It says this, Psalm 18, 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and uh, scattered them. And lightning flashes in abundance and routed them, then the channels of water appeared, and the fountains of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Just those kinds of pictures of how incredibly potent he is, how powerful he is. Uh, Psalm 29. Another one. Psalm 29, verse three. Psalm 29, verse 3, it says this, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Those were the most mighty trees in uh, all of that area, especially in Lebanon. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. That's his power. He does that when he wills. That's the God you're going to meet. I don't think that's a God that you just go in there and, and say, oh, hi, how are you doing? That is one where you just bow down and you just cry, mercy, mercy, mercy. And I hope, folks, that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you bow down to these truths, that, that your heart is ready for these truths, that you have truly given your life to Christ. And, and if you have not, please understand, one day you will have to. Because it says in the Scriptures that every knee will bow. That's just in recognition of who He is. It doesn't mean anything else beyond that. You're going to bow your knee in recognition to Him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's what we all have to be prepared for. Back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. I just thought I'd give you some of those pictures. I-, I wish we could do something that would make it even seen, but you can't. It's impossible. Hollywood can't do it. Taylor Swift can't do it. I don't know. I hear that name and I have no idea who it is. <laughs> Back to Revelation 4 5. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I, I once heard a clip of Benny Hinn saying, These are the seven gods that we are serving. And I went, Ay, ay, ay. Uh, the guy is off his rocker. That's not what it means. We'll get to what that means. Well, what this uh, does mean to me as I listen to this, the seven lamps. A fire burning before the throne means that judgment is warming up. That's what this verse says to me. That's what it says, speaking that judgment is getting ready. The seven spirits of God are representative of the invisible Holy Spirit. That's what they're representative of. Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning. Lamps that are are on fire and are burning. Coming from that throne. But you know, you don't get a picture of what's on the throne. Even last week when we looked at that, and they gave it a picture of the gems of a sardius gem. It doesn't give the picture of really what that is because you can't see it. They come out from the throne before the throne. The awesomeness of God is on display. The divine majesty is here for you, for you to bow your knee, for you to humble yourself because that's exactly what needs to happen. We obviously see the symbolism of having the number seven there. We know from our time of studying the Scripture that it represents completeness. Uh, That's what it means. Here we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's being represented here. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit is represented by these seven not tongues. Not tongues. It's by these. Later in the book, John is going to speak of the burning fire and will be judgment over and over and over again. The seven lamps represent the completeness of light around the throne, the uh, fullness uh, to God's light at the throne. These torches represent the judgment of God, but not only that, in addition, the majesty of God. See, that's the thing that we need to see, not just the picture. What's going to happen? What's supposed to happen? This also uh, is uh, what uh, we see is the picture of the lamps that before the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So you have that picture as well. It's truly a perfect picture. Incredible. Even taking Old Testament and showing us the holiness of God. Four or five says there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The seven lamps burn, but the throne representing the completeness of the work of the Holy Spirit, this completeness is represented as the scene of judgment. And that's what I want us to keep in mind that there's always going to be a judgment. I, I, I so often hear people, yes, I, I came to Jesus Christ, I accepted him you know, and then they think they're in the church when they don't do anything about that accepting Him. They don't change. They keep living the same way. They don't realize He's holy and you need to bow down to Him and you need to live the way He's called you to live. That happens so often. This is the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that appeared at the baptism of Jesus. How did he appear? He was there. The same Holy Spirit that appeared at Pentecost in tongues of fire. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So it appeared as tongues of fire in that situation. Now the Holy Spirit was left as a gift to us. Did you know that? John 14:26. We see that Jesus leaves that Holy Spirit for us to teach us all things. John 14:26 says this, "Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled." That's 27. I need to get to 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's the promise we have. He's going to teach you all things. You come to Christ, you better be learning about him. You better be studying about him. You better be studying about God. You better be studying about the Almighty. That's what happens when you become a Christian. It's not just I show up at church on Sunday. And let him teach me. No, he he teaches, yes, but I still need to learn on my own. Let's go to Revelation, back, back to Revelation. Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center, around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Please note, it says something like. Something like that it looks like a sea of glass. It doesn't really give us exactly what that is. This description, I believe, of the sea of glass, which is supposed to be immense there, is something of awesome, and is awesomeness for this occasion. The addition is to make this a spectacular visitation upon the Holy of Holies. You are in His presence. So is it a sea of glass or is it crystal? But why a sea of glass? Some say that that is there to show the separation between God and man, which there certainly is. Others say it's because it's the purifying work of God. Please note, all of these speculations read That way, there are speculations of these various things that are in the throne room because we really don't have an explanation from God to exactly what they are. But one thing for sure, one thing without any debate, one thing that we can know for sure is a wonderful, picturesque element of the scene in heaven. It shows us what heaven is like. We next turn to the description of them being in the center and around the throne. This gives a, a picture of significance or of one being in the crowd, um, in the in crowd. <clears throat> this picture of them being in the center <clears throat> and around the throne, I guess we could take a picture like uh, that you see from the Oval Office people that are standing around the president. Uh, It would look as though those are the in people. That's a kind of analogy. I know it falls far short, especially these days. But that's a little bit of a picture of that. The focus is on the occupant of the throne, not of the things around the throne. And you know when you go and see a picture of our president, your focus is on him not on other things around him. God's transcendence here is most important. That's basically what this is trying to say. His transcendence is most important. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, there is a similar picture that's rendered there, and it describes a sea of crystal, uh, but it's crystal of ice, not of glass, that is part of the scene that is in heaven. And it says this, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Let's look at that Ezekiel passage for a minute. we got some time here. I just heard that we had extra time. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. This is a little bit longer reading, but, but stay with me. Ezekiel chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Within it there were figures resembling four living beings. Same number that we have here in Revelation. And this was their appearance. They had human form. Well, the form that you see in, in heaven, or that kind of thing, a, a human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnishing burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands. As for the faces and the wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had a face of a man. All four had the face of a lion. On the right, and the face of the bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Now, I want to stop there just for a minute to say what that is. It's one face, but they have faces on all portions. They don't have to turn. They have them there. That's the way I, the picture I get uh, from this. And frankly, I think it is the picture. Where do we leave off? Verse 10. As for the form of their faces, they each had a face of a man. All four had a face of a lion on the right and a face of the bull on the left. And all four had a face of an eagle. There were, such were their faces. Their wings were spread out. Each had two touching uh, another being and two covering their bodies. the, The picture is just absolutely incredible here. Verse 12, and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. Now we're going to jump down to verses 17 and 18. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and their rims of their four of them was full of eyes around and about. That's the picture that we get out of Revelation. It's similar. Front of the eyes, uh, their front and the back, they... What does that represent? When you have all these eyes all over the place, it's like the mother who's always watching her child, you know, the helicopter mom, Who, who's always got her eyes on her child. She watches every little thing that they're doing. Or maybe it's the wife of the husband. You know, I, I, you could take it either way. These eyes are unceasing in their vigilance. These are representatives of God. And they're unceasing in their vigilance. Their eyes represent the omniscience of God. He's watching everything. And he knows everything. And he doesn't miss anything. I I love that idea. And at the same time, I tremble at that idea. Because he knows everything I think. Everything that goes through my heart. He even knows before I start repenting. Psalm 33, Psalm 33, it's just another picture here, Psalm thirty-three, thirteen, 13, and it says this, <clears throat> the Lord looks from heaven, Yahweh looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men, could you imagine, I think we're up to 8 billion people. He sees every single one of them. Keep that in mind. You don't even know where your grandchildren are. You don't even know what they're doing in Sunday school with your kids. You don't know where your grandfather is, your grandmother. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. Everything. Everything. You know, even when you decide to do something for God so that you can be seen by others doing that thing, he knows the heart. That's that's scary. That's scary. God is all-knowing, folks. He knows everything all the time. Every time. He knows it by the second. That's an awesome God. The four living creatures that we've been speaking of, just go back in Revelation. The four living creatures that we have there are not animals as we know them. Frankly, the word that's used there just means living, they're living beings. One thing I can say about these four living beings is, is that they have caused no end of speculation. I, I have one commentator must have taken about ten pages telling us all of the different speculations of, of what these were. And if I were to attempt to list the various speculations, there would not be enough time for this class and the next class. So what can I say about the four living creatures? Initially, please understand, if you have a King James version of the Bible, I'm not going to cast any aspersions on you, but that particular version or the translation happens to translate that word, Zoe, wrong, incorrectly. Uh, It is not a beast. It's a living creature. That's the way it should be. A life form. If If you want to put life form in there, that would be another way that you could translate it. So a living creature or a life form. What can we say about the four living creatures? First, I'm going to give you a few things that we can say about them. They're in special class. They're different. I've never seen anything like this. There are very few of these. But they're already in the throne room of God. That's what we know. Are they angels? Well, if they are angels, they're very special angels. That I do know. If they are angels, they're special angels. The second thing that we know about these four living creatures, they're functioning in some kind of a judicial way. When we say that, or when I say that, judicial way in following out judgment on people. How do I know? Revelation 6.1. They have some measure of judgment there. Then I saw when the Lamb, this is Revelation 6.1, then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. So he's, he's already come calling them. Then we have uh, Revelation 6, 3. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. What comes? Another red horse. You know, he's got all of these things. There's a judgment going on. And then verse 5, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. So we have this going on. There's a measure of judgment going on there. Then there's third. It appears, third thing that we can say about these four living creatures, it appears that they are related to other angelic beings. I believe, though, they're of a higher special order. Their role is specifically in the worship of the king because they're in the throne room already. They're carrying out justice upon the earth. So they have those two roles at least. And that worship is expressed here in Revelation 4, 7 and 8. Let's read that. Revelation 4, 7 and 8. The first creature was like a lion, giving us a description. And the second creature, like a calf. And the third creature had a face... Uh, like that of a man, and the fourth creature, like that of a flying eagle. This is the description we had from Ezekiel chapter 1. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, and we'll find out what that is. Again, folks, this is incredible what is going on here. All of those eyes, we already have found out, that means that they are Omniscience—they—they know what's going on. They have a picture of everything. Isaiah six is a picture of this. Again, John could be borrowing from the Old Testament and repeating these things, but no, I, I think John is seeing these things in heaven. In Isaiah six one, it says this, and in the year of King Uzziah' death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, within the train of his robe. Filling the t- with the train of his robe, filling the temple. So we have Isaiah's vision of this, and he's in the throne room of God. And this is what he's going to say Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So he's giving the same kind of description. And then verse three, and he called, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So you can see it's it's similar. This is what they do. Could you imagine doing something for all of eternity? Would you get bored? Some people have said to me, I don't know if I really want to go to heaven because it's going to be boring there. Are you serious? But that's what they're doing, and it says at the end of the verse there, or towards the end of the verse, it says and they do not cease. They're doing it all the time? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's go back to the wings. The wings are mentioned here, and most commentators agree on what they are for. Two wings that are used to covering the face of of the being showing that they are in awe of the presence of God. In other words, they can't look upon the presence of God. They can't, even as those angelic beings in a special place, they can't look at Him. Two wings are covering the face, showing that they're in that awe. The two wings that cover their feet are there to show humility because how could they stand in the presence of God? If uh, you know anything about history and kings and all of that, whenever you come into the presence of a king, you have to get down and bow down. You can't look up at them. That's what can not happen here. And so they're showing humility. And then two kings, uh, two wings, so they can fly. Why? That shows obedience, readiness to go whenever God tells them to go. Go here, go there. They are ready for that. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel 10.14 Gives us a. You don't need to turn there, but Ezekiel can jot it down. Ten fourteen says this, and each had four faces, and the first face was the face of a cherub, the second face of the, was the was face of a man, the third face was the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Obviously, these creatures were during the prophetic days of Ezekiel, of Isaiah. And they're still there. They're there for eternity. They're doing this all the time. The commentators at this point dive into a sea of symbolism. i got to tell you, when I look at all that they're writing about, and so they've dived into the sea of symbolism, and I don't want to take you into that sea because you may drown. Let's just take you into the waiting pool. The four faces are said to represent the various aspects of creation. That that is a a very good possibility. The four faces that we've seen, the the one of a lion, the one of an ox, one of a human, and the one of a flying eagle. The the lion is the wild beast of creation. The ox is the domesticated animal of creation. Uh, The human, supposedly the highest intellect. Notice I said supposedly. And then the flying creature, the eagle. That's what that's supposed to be, is a picture of that. Rather than getting in beyond that and drowning, that's what you need to know. One commentator said the fullness of eyes represents ceaseless vigilance and an unlimited intelligence, and the wings represent swiftness of movement. What I can say at this point is that these are described as the most elegant living creatures most elegant living creatures. They have been in the presence of the Lord since their creation, and they give homage and worship to their creator. Folks, that's what we're going to be doing. Are you ready for that? That you're going to be giving homage and you're going to be giving worship to your creator for the rest of your eternal days. They are an angelic type. I'm speculating here. So please don't hold me to this, but this is speculation. This is the group that Satan came out of. Speculation. Satan was not just a mere angel. He was the highest, most beautiful. You see that in Isaiah, that their explanation goes on. So I believe Satan came out of this group. How could you fall from heaven? Folks, I think that gives us a picture of, of how fallible we all are. gives us a picture of, of how we need to stay diligent to the things of God and, and not take them lightly. That's what I think that tells me, that I need to stay close. Years ago, John McCarthy gave this description of somebody who's going to walk away from the Lord. He says, well, they started in the front row. Then all of a sudden, they were in the middle of the church. And then they were on the back row, and then you don't see them anymore because they're working their way out of the church. And that's easy to do sometimes, falling away from the things of God. Stay close. For sure, we can say these four living creatures, they are alive, they are real, and they were created by God for his service. We know that. They speak. We see that here in in uh, 4B. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who is and who was and who is to come. They speak, they say things. The text tells us their worship is day and night. I wanted to get to that. Day and night, they do not cease. Their worship is continuous. For instance, there there is no night in heaven. How can you use that metaphor? What is is the picture that John is trying to give you? There's no night in heaven, so it says they, they worship day and night. Basically, he's saying they worship forever. They continue to worship. Now, some of you, very astute listeners, may say, but if they worship day and night, how do they get going in Revelation 6 to bring judgment on somebody else. where well, Why do they release the horses of judgment in Revelation 6? Then they're not worshiping. That's a really good question. The original language says, by day and night, it's a kind of time rather than an extent of time. Paul uses it the same way. Paul in 1 Thessalonians two nine says this, For I recall, brethren our labor and hardship, how working day and night. Now, was Paul working 24 hours a day? No, he wasn't. But there'll be times that he was at night working, and there'll be sometimes during the day he'd be working. So day and night he did work, but he didn't work for the 24-hour period. I think one commentator said that this way. He says, There is a difference between doing something continually and continuously. Over these two weeks... We've looked at the glory of heaven. I hope that whatever happens that you see, are you really in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you encouraged to be able to worship Him for eternity? The Almighty's there. It doesn't, whether you do or don't, doesn't matter in in eternity, but it matters to you. It matters to him because he wants you to do that. I hope if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ that these messages pointed you to the answer for your problems and we all have problems but Jesus Christ is the one who came to solve those problems. He's the one who came to take away our sin that keeps us from him and we are sinners down to the last person And we need Him all the time. Let me pray. Father, thank You for this Scripture that John has given to us. Just a little bit of a picture. Preparing us for heaven, even if you want to call it that. Of preparing us for what we're going to see. And even when we see it, we will be struck, awestruck with what we see. Lord God, thank you for being so immense and other than us. Lord, because if it was just another ruler over us, it would mean nothing. But you are God Almighty, the most majestic one, the Almighty. May we understand the grandeur of your throne, your your person. When we understand the forgiveness of our sins, that alone is incredible. Father, we're all going to perish someday. I pray that all of us that truly want to know you, truly have given their lives to you at this point, that that faith would have sight, sight of who you are as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, thank you for this day, and I even know that, or I think, Pastor John's going to be preaching the same passage today. Pray this in your name. Amen.